Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2022. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them, and... Sergio, he, him, and Kai, he, him. Now, you know, you two are new to this show, I don't know you too well. And no offense, but just to make sure you're not actually an alien slug masquerading as a human, I am going to have to isolate you for three days before we proceed. That's not a problem. All right, sounds good. <laughs> I hope that doesn't, you know, disrupt <laughs> yeah. our time scales too much. Well, <laughs> we're good. That is what an alien slug would say, so. Anyway, right. Yeah, you never know. You know what? If the alien slugs can, you know, have something to say about fan fiction, I'll have them on the air. It's Look, okay. I'm allergic to Candrona, all right? I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a yerk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but, what a yerk would say. See, you know, I'm the best detective. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I was just going to th- say, say thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, you all reached out to us to ask if you could come on. And now is as good a time as any, I think, to talk a little bit about what you're doing, because you've got your own fanfic podcast, right? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. So we are, uh, so you think you can fan in, uh, we're every Mondays and Fridays. Uh, and we, uh, we do a lot of things on our podcast. Um, but mostly it's reading. We do everything. Um, Mondays we read through a, uh, horrible Kingdom Hearts bootleg novel called Chain of Memories. Uh, and on Friday we just read whatever fan fiction that, um, we find or just want to read more of. I guess. And then occasionally we'll do like discussion episodes and stuff like that of like writing and stories and whatnot. That's great. Well, yeah, again, it's it's always great to have new guests on. I'm always looking for people who want to talk about old fan fiction that we think might be good. And when we were casting about for a kind of a topic to do, uh, once we try decided to try to do a show together, uh, we settled on Animorphs. And so to start us off with, uh, could each of you talk a little bit about your background with this series? Uh, okay, so my background with this series is going to be, uh, have you ever watched the PCP University lecture on Animorphs? No. No, what? What is that? So, no, 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 so, okay, okay, so there's a, there's a, there's a group of YouTubers called the Procrastinators, and they do this thing called the PCP University lectures, where basically, it's like, like, I think they all go to, like, like a, a convention, and then they basically trap themselves in, like, a hotel room. And one of them has to give a lecture on something. So they did like a four hour, 30 minute lecture on Animorphs where the uh, one of the guys, Tom, uh, goes through all of the books in four hours and 30 minutes. And mm. I, I'd seen the books like like in elementary school, but like I, I dismissed them like, oh, yeah, those covers are weird or whatever. And then I remember I found like an article on Smosh talking about the. Uh, the, the Tom arc, I think that's the kid's name where the kid. uh yeah. Yeah, 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 and I was like, oh, that's that's funky. And then I started list like watching the lecture. And I'm like, oh my god, this is so good because the the video is Animorphs, the series you slept on. And yeah, I was sleeping on Animorphs because it's got everything I want: body horror, dismemberment, body snatching. I love all that stuff. So while I've never actually read Animorphs, I've of course watched the lecture and I've read a whole ton of wiki summaries on the series. I would say at this point, Sergio probably knows more than I do, even though I actually read the series when I was a kid. I probably got through about half of the books, I would say. Um, 
like half of the entire series because I just loved them that much. But uh, I remember basically nothing. So reading this fanfic was a good trip down memory lane for me. Kai, I feel like that was about where I was at. I maybe even read less than you, but I definitely read Animorphs books like, you know, on and off when they were coming out, um, but couldn't have told you a whole lot about them. But then fairly recently, I also listened to maybe about half total before I got distracted of the Morph Club podcast, which is one of many Animorphs reread podcasts that have existed. And I, I mean, they're finished now. But I feel like it's a popular choice for podcasters to do a like book by book reread, possibly because mm. there's just there's like a lot to talk about. And some of the plots are really bonkers. And but then also kind of like the guts of the series are is like really compelling, actually, and really interesting. And then, Tori, did you read the whole series, I feel like? No. You know what's weird? No, because... So it ran from 96 to 2001, and I started reading it when it was coming out. I remember we were just having this conversation. I, we used to have the Scholastic Book Fair, you know, come to the school, and it would be first thing in the morning um, at my elementary school when I was in fourth grade. And they were coming out, like, a book, I don't know, every month or two, you know? And I would pick up the new book and I'd read it like, like that, like in the recess before class began, but I'd probably still be reading it when I walked into the classroom. Um, I was really into this, the books, but that interest sort of dropped off um, after I moved to Portland in like the fifth grade. So I never made it all the way through, but I definitely have on my childhood bookshelf, at least the first 10 or 12 of them. Wow. Um, but yeah, like going back to it, you know, I don't remember it that I, I, I loved them when I was 10. Um, but going back to it, I'm like, oh, wow, like this does have a lot of body horror. And this is a really intense series for kids. Also, do y'all remember there was a TV show that came out? Uh, I Did remember. See that? I've heard yeah. of the TV show, but I've never seen it. I've, I've seen mm-hmm. like stills and whatnot, but I've never seen it. I was totally excited when it came out and I watched it, but none of it sticks in my memory. So I don't know what yeah, that no, you, you, you got you guys are a lot older than us, so I'm sure your time frame of Animorphs is a lot shifter than us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's not dwell on how much older we are, but yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, oh, and speaking of which, you know what? I also read the first volume of the graphic novel adaptation, which just came out like a year ago, because I I oh, tend to cool. skim a lot of, like, the young adult comics and, like, read a fair number of newish ones. But anyway, well, I'm a little bit surprised to hear that nobody's actually, like, super familiar or, like, a, a major fan of the series. But I'm a little bit glad, too, because I kind of thought I would be the, the least knowledgeable here in the room. And it seems like we're more on an even page here. And also, it turns out that the fanfic that I chose for today, which is The Wheel by L. Emmett, it is pastiche, right? It's written in the form of a, you know, fairly normal, which is to say very stressful Animorphs book. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like mm-hmm. that's actually a good topic for like a bunch of us who kind of, who, like we know the series, but we're not going to be delving into minutiae of, you know, characterization or continuity or whatever. Yeah, it's, um, it's actually does a good job of doing an overview for people who don't know or don't remember when they introduce the, you know, the Yerks, they introduce what they are and they introduce what morphing is and um it reads and i think it's about the same length as any animorphs novel is because it's also the series changed perspectives from the five different characters i think so this one is done from marco's perspective yeah 
And it reads just like a book in the show, in the series, I mean. I think the getting you oriented part um, is just, it's part of the pastiche. They always did that in the books because, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. it's like the old Marvel Comics motto, every issue is someone's first. Like, I'm sure the ghostwriters were like, well, every book, you know, is somebody's first Animorphs book. They need to make sure they get all the information there. And as for length, Tori, I actually did the research. According to fanfiction.net, which is where this is published, back in 2002 again, uh, it's about 33,000 words. And I checked, and that's a little bit longer than the longest main series Animorphs book, which was the first book. And so it is, oh, wow. it's, it's in the form of an Animorphs book. It's, it's longer than any other Animorphs book, except for like the big, like, and like Chronicles specials or such. And it's significantly longer than your average Animorphs book, which apparently got shorter as the series went on. But, That's you know, it, crazy. It's, it's in the same ballpark. I would have assumed that this was shorter in a way because 33,000 words is not very long for a novel. But I guess they are, they're novella length, right? They're kind of thin and the text is big because they're YA books. So, yeah, yeah I was definitely really surprised by that because I thought this would have been like pretty comparable to the Animorphs books. That's so weird that it's longer. I will say, though, the style definitely rem- was, like, exactly what I remembered mm-hmm. when I was reading them as a book. I was really surprised. Yeah, I've obviously I've never read them, but while I was getting it, I was get- I was getting the impression this was how they were written. Although, the, the, the one thing that flipped me up, and I don't know if this is in the books, but when they're in, uh, when they're morphed, they don't have quotation marks. And that was a little weird to, to read at points. Um, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I think I have an explanation. For older stuff on fanfiction.net, my understanding is that at some point they made some change to the site, which broke the formatting of a lot of old stories. Okay. So my assumption is originally they would have been in italics, all the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And right now there's just nothing because it's from 2002. And you're right, it made it kind of awkward to read sometimes, but I don't think that's the author's fault. I think that's the site's fault. Yeah, I mean, fanfiction.net is a garbage website, so it doesn't really uh, surprise me that there was a format screw-up. Yeah, you're not wrong. At least it still exists, unlike many other fanfic hosting websites that we've returned to. I mean, I've heard some people in fandoms, you know, express concern that, like, fanfiction.net is not going to be around forever. That, like, the people who are in charge of it basically barely maintain it anymore, and, you know, it's, it's just there because it generates ad revenue for now. And at some point, it might just, like, They should disappear. just mash it into AO3 like every other site. I keep getting updates on my AO3. Like, yeah, X, X fanfiction website is just getting mashed into AO3. And it's like, oh, again? Yeah, but I thought AO3 has to get, like, permission. Like, they they don't want to just appropriate people's stories without the permission of the authors. You know, I would. Uh, I would appropriate the stories without permission of the authors. But um, I'm not sure they do or something. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm just like reading like what what I see on the front page. So yeah, I don't, I don't know like the specifics on that. But it, it just seems like they've been doing that a lot. Is just you know consuming other fanfic websites that are going down or whatever. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense given their mission statement. Yeah. So by the way, uh, we mentioned that this story, the wheel, which is in the format of an animorphs book, and it's from the perspective of Marco. Because uh, every book was from the perspective of a different character, right? Does anyone have any favorite Animorphs point of view protagonists that they remember? Yeah. Like, Tori and Kai, do you remember who you liked back when you were reading them or anything? I do. Um, I actually, 
Oh, gosh. Well, this makes me think. I must have started reading the books when I was younger than fourth grade because I adopted my first dog when I was eight. And I named her Casey because I thought that was how you pronounced Cassie. <laughs> I remember telling my parents, like, no, you spell it C-A-S-S-I-E. And they're like, that's Cassie. And I'm like, well, to me, it's Casey's. <laughs> I'm calling her Casey. Um, she was my favorite, for sure. That's so weird. I thought it was Casey, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Not Ooh, being able funny. to read things is a commonality, I guess. Um, I'm pretty sure that my favorite was Marco. So this was a nice treat. As a non-reader, uh, my favorite character is uh, Jake. Not only is he named af- named after, named the same as my best friend, Jake, but um, Jake is based. I, I, I just, I love... Like, uh, my, one of my favorite Jake moments is when he flushes the, the all the yerks out of the, the spaceship. Everyone's like, oh, that's genocide. He can't do it. I was like, nope, screw those slugs. I would do the exact same thing. Yeah, and that's, that's the end of the series, right? And then he's, like, yeah. kind of traumatized by it. But, you know, he that's the point he had reached, for sure. I think, um, I think for me, Marco is honestly the one I would have remembered the existence of last just from like both the books and the podcast. And I remember as a kid being most fascinated by Tobias because I was like, oh, he's a kid, but he's a freaking hawk and he's stuck as a hawk. And that's so weird and cool. Um, but I've got to say, reading this story, I appreciate Marco a whole lot more than I think I ever did. Yeah. You know, yeah, Marco was sort of like under the radar for me. It was like, oh, he was he's funny, right? But um, I think... I still remember, you know, reading the books as they came out. It was only like the sixth book, but it took time between the novels. So when Axe became a character, you saw that cover and you were just like waiting to read that book because they put it on posters. You're like, what is that? Because he's the alien, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, when he was introduced, I think I sort of shifted my perspective because he's really funny in the sense of how any alien on Earth is funny. He doesn't understand humans very well. And I think for anyone who uh, doesn't understand humans very well, it's a relatable character. <laughs> Definitely. I would also say, like, I, I, I'm going to advocate for Marco over here because I guess he's the underdog. I just, I think he's so witty and clever. And I think this book did a really good job of embodying that. Like, not only in the way he interacts with other characters, but just in the way that his general thoughts about the situations are structured. Totally. This really re-endeared me to the, the character um, because he's he has such real feelings, but he kind of covers everything with humor and tries to be chill. But he points out how bonkers everything is all the time. And it's just really fun to read. Speaking of fun to read, I guess let's jump into the content of the fanfic. Though I do want to immediately derail us with a complaint about one of the conceits of Animorphs if that's okay. That's um, go ahead. It, I mean, it's, it's nothing minor. It just makes me, nothing major. It just makes me laugh. Um, you know, it starts off with the normal Animorphs novel thing where he's like, oh, my name is Marco. My last name could be anything. I can't give out too much information because, you know, this could fall in the hands of the Yerks. And, you know, things are super, super dangerous. And it's like, uh, okay, you're hiding your last name, but you're okay saying, also, my mom is the host body of Visser 1. <laughs> I'm like, I, I think you just blew it, man. I think if the Yurks find this, they know who you are. Also, now. also, also aren't aren't you an Andalite? Aren't you aren't you an Andalite? <laughs> I don't I don't think Marco is an Andalite name. 
<laughs> oh, you're talking about how they all think it's Andalite bandits being the Animorphs. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, 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 the, yeah. The the Yerks think that they're Andalites, and they don't figure that out till like much, much later when Visser Three is like, totally why don't, why aren't they killing any humans? Right. I mean, I really like that part about the plot. It's actually like a really, really reasonable explanation as to why the Yerks don't try to flush out humans who are transforming into animals, because yeah. no one even thinks that's a possibility. That's completely off their radar. But no, j just the idea that they could possibly hide their identities while writing down everything that happens to them and all of their like you know <laughs> crazy life details and backstories. But we should share our last names. Um, it's pretty silly, that's all. Yeah, they give every detail of their missions, but not last it would be really funny if, if so canonically, if they, if, they, if they were writing these books and like Tom goes into Jake's room and he's like <laughs> reading through like 30 Animorphs novels and Jake comes home and he's like, bro, you know, I'm a, y y and you went to space? You met God? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Uh. I was going to say, you could fix this issue incredibly easily by just saying like, oh, my first name is fake too. And then like immediately it would be fine. Yeah, he's still. What you the... didn't know is my uh, my second cousin twice removed is Visser One. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say he's still the child of Visser One's host body. I think they can probably find that's him. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Does anyone want to start us off with kind of the premise of the fanfic as it as it starts off, like what's going on with the plot and such? Uh, sure, I can do that. All right. So the plot of this, honestly, honestly, this was an animorphs novel. Like this, this feels like it was just another Animorphs novel, because I think it's comparable. But, basically, uh, the Yerks are trying to uh, make more controllers by uh, infiltrating a driver's ed class, and the Animorphs gotta put a stop to it. Yeah, and, and in true, like, Sailor Moon style, of course, they they all happen to be taking driver's ed at the time when they discover yes. that this is the plot. Like, just, you know, from, from plot contrivance, they kind of happen to be already involved. And, um, yeah, that, that's the main outline. And I, there's something I want to say about it. It's like, I, okay, so with Animorphs, there's no such thing as a low-stress Animorphs book, right? It's like, it doesn't mm. matter what, that sounds like, by Animorph standards, it's relatively low stakes. It's like, the Yerks are trying to expand, like, they're trying to get more controllers at a faster rate than they're already doing. It's nothing, like, dramatically, and thus we win the war. It's bad, but it's like, you know, kind of normal bad stakes. And yet, over the course of this story, the Animorphs are going to, like, come, you know, within a hair's breadth of being destroyed in multiple ways, multiple times, because it's just, like, it's part of the Animorph style of writing. It's just that everything is going to be, you know, narrowly avoiding complete disaster, and it's all going to be very stressful. Yes. It does sort of beg the question, like, how do they get away with this always being the case in every book? Like, they almost die, you know? Or, like, maybe there's just a lot of stories that aren't told, and the ones that are interesting to be told are ones where they almost die. But, dude, they are fighting kind of a losing battle. However, that's what's kind of fun about Marco in this. He points that out all the time. I was going to mention, do you know about the one where uh, they, 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 they turn into, into termites to sneak into a building? But then the termites in the, the walls don't recognize them and they start like eating and ripping them apart and they have to demorph and they all fall out of the wall. I remember that. I feel like I might remember people talking about that. That seems, yeah. Yeah. Fairly standard Animorphs like 
just offhand, here's a completely horrifying, nightmarish scenario that these kids have to live through. <laughs> it's right? like, if anything can go wrong, it will. That's just <laughs> the Animorphs way. Well, and if anything can be horrifying. Do you know the statement that the author made recently? Because I think they said they greenlighted an Animorphs movie. She was like, I want it to be a kid's movie. But but the, the dismemberment needs to re- <laughs> needs to remain. They can't be taken out. Yeah, she's, she seems really cool, actually. And she was very dedicated to, like, the overall mission statement of, like, war is hell and terrible and traumatic. And, like, you don't just win and celebrate. Like, you maybe survive and have to deal with that, that you survived, more like. I noticed, uh, as we were talking earlier about how we said, like, sometimes Marco is, like, this voice of reason saying like, Oh, look at all this like crazy horrifying stuff that's happening to us. Isn't that weird. And then he sort of covers it up with humor. I felt like a lot of his quotes really just sort of reflected like pure PTSD coming from these experiences. And then he's just casually brushing it off. Yeah. That's like basically what I was going to say. It's uh, I had forgotten how much these books not only like because there's a lot of young adult books that like imply that kids have gone through terrible things or they show them going through dramatic fights you know fantasy escapades but this is one of those series that points out how much it affects the kids and like yeah marco draws the most attention to that he just i think it's an easy character to do that with because he can brush it away with humor it's just in this, at least, it's a very dark humor. Oh, I, th- for I, th- sure. I think also Animorphs, by uh, comparing it to other fantasy things, in terms of like what the 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 show the 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 series allows for its premise. Um, because like 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 for example, like, like with Harry Potter, if like Harry Potter like gets his throat cut, then he's just like he's down for the count. Like he like he's dead. But like the Animorphs get like blown up and arms mm-hmm. and legs chopped off, and they 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 can remorph and heal that. But that happens over and over again. They have to live with the trauma of these injuries. Where if you look at any other like fantasy protagonist, if anything that happens to them, well, they're dead, so it's probably not going to happen to them. Or they get laid up for a bit and they're out for the count. You know? Yeah, you're right. Basically, they just have to be conscious, and it's it's in a lot of ways less of a contrivance to say like, oh, they went through all this and they're still conscious, than like, oh, they went through all this and they're basically unharmed. So yeah, it kind of works. Um, and yeah, we're going to get to the, you know, the spine injury <laughs> in a little bit, I think. Yeah. But oh my gosh. I, yeah, let, let's, let's go through a few more of the story beats slightly slower. And if anyone wants to jump in with anything, feel free. So like moving through pretty quickly for the very first part of the story. Jake and Mark are hanging out with a rare bit of downtime uh, playing. What are they playing? Like Mario Kart or something? Mario mm-hmm. Tennis. Mario Tennis. Yeah, tennis. They're playing tennis, yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, I love that little throwback piece, by the way. (laughs) Because they're not allowed any kind of happiness, the plot has to happen immediately, where, like, their parents have signed them up for driver's ed. Um, And, you know, in the next chapter, they're at the driver's ed place, and we get, like, a little bit of normalcy there, almost. Um, But, and, and, you know, normalcy involves, like, Marco flirting with girls also, which I'm shocked that he has the mental headspace for um at this stage in his alien fighting life but you know i guess he he makes an effort um but then by the end of it 
They've received word from their intelligence network, which is to say, you know, cool androids who are cool with them, cool fat pacifist androids, that something big is going down. And I, I've got to say, I dislike, I guess, the attention paid always to the facade that they do have to be putting up. So, for example, that Jake sharing with Mike Marco that they have bad news scene um, is here at the end of this second chapter. We began filing into the building. I hung back to talk to Jake. That worried look on his face was contagious. Hey, Jake, how's it going? Hey, Marco, pretty good. We fought our way up the stairs with the rest of them. But according to our friend with the dogs, there's been a little complication in our after-school project. He said it nonchalantly, as if it were no big deal. The after-school project was the war. Our friend with the dogs was Eric. Complications are always, always, always bad. Complications involving Eric are way, way, way worse. Little complications are always, always, always huge. The combination of the three usually ends in a whole lot of bloodshed and pain. Our pain. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. I seized on that, too. That part, too. I also, because, uh, wow, what drama for... By the way, the ages of the characters weren't, like, established very well in the books, but, like, over time, it sort of revealed that early on, they're probably about 13. Now, by now, they're taking driver's ed, so they're probably about 15. But um, I also wanted to add that uh, be right before that, Marco observes, Jake has a tense expression a lot of the time. It comes from making life, the life or death decisions that could get your friends killed or the earth taken over. That or stomach acid. <laughs> little things like that you know it's like really dramatic but then also oh there's the quip yeah from from marco especially for sure mm -hmm. and yeah just for that facade like the author I, I assume applegate was really good about it too but the author's really good at making sure that you see that they're always always conscious of it like there's one point where he needs to say mm -hmm. something to rachel in the hall and that's weird because he and rachel publicly have no relationship whatsoever they don't even know each other really um, right, because she's popular in school, so and he's not, so it's a thing because they're kids. <laughs> when in reality, they're like you know war comrades, and but he has to risk it for that moment just to like walk alongside her for a second. It, it's you know a cool through line. I was just gonna say because uh, I I really like uh, the the banter um, that go that the the author focuses on between the mm -hmm. animorphs because there's a, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of chapters where they're just like I have it written in my chapter summaries where it's just like shit shooting they shot the shit next chapter um but it's just like it's it's just good dialogue um between them it, it really characterizes them well yeah they've all got kind of different i feel like everyone kind of gets to be clever in their own way but they've all kind of got their different mm. styles of humor to some extent yeah i definitely really like the way that this author uh portrayed their relationships even though i don't remember too much from the books i knew that uh, just seeing the characters' dialogue between each other was always one of my favorite parts. Besides, like, you know, the action and the dismemberment and stuff like that. Like, that's great. But <laughs> I, I liked the way that they related to each other. And I also liked that, you know, as we said, they are, like, children. People going into, like, well, ending middle school, going into high school, that sort of thing. But they they both talk like children, and then they also have more, like, I don't know, mature adult kind of undertones and i remember when reading that as a kid like i i was always struck by it didn't feel like it wasn't a i i guess an adult trying to get into the mind frame of a child like reading it i always thought like okay these are like people 
my age or around my age acting maturely. Yeah, that's a it's a really good point. Um, I think that you know, yeah, the author does a really good job of like making a character that kids want to read. You know. So again, as mentioned, they find out about this, you know, Yerk plan from their robot contact, Eric. I mean, Android. He's like some part of some Android race, whatever. Um, and basically, like, the Yerks are using these driver's ed cars as, like, mobile stations of some, some kind. They got, like, little miniature Yerk pools, like, you know, disguised holographically riding around the city. And because things can't simply be bad in Animorphs, they have to be worse, then it's immediately established that before they have time to do anything about this, Cassie is going to have her final, like, you know, driving test, which is where they're turning kids into controllers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, they know about it, right? And they want her to get out of it, but there's there's just no way she can get out of it, I guess, is what ends up being the case. Without acting suspiciously, because she's been, like, all right. in on this class also, whatever. Um, but so then they have to, like, that's the, the staging for the first kind of action scene of this story. And, you know, there's a couple big ones. And I, I didn't retain super well in my, um, in my head the blow-by-blow blow of what they're trying to do, but they, like, try to direct the, the Yerk, who's, you know, the driver's ed teacher with Cassie to a certain place, and then they have three Animorphs hiding in a, a gas station bathroom. Is that all correct? Yeah, yeah, they were going to um, they, they were going to get him to drive, uh, or at least get Cassie to drive him to a secluded spot where they could slash the tires and uh, get Cassie out of there. But that kind of goes tits up. <laughs> <laughs> Half of what I remember there is very clever morphing in bathroom dialogue that was happening. Just, just like you were saying in terms of like witty banter. Yeah, and that, that's where the body horror kicks in as they're like transforming in the, mm. the bathroom and they're like... yeah. okay i think this is the couplet that i was remembering of um jake contacts them through telepathy because he's in animal form you know elsewhere okay tobias how are we looking in terms of leaving the john did he just call the restroom a john snickered cassie did you just call the bathroom a restroom i inquired did you just call the stinkhole a bathroom rachel chimed in cassie passed her a discreet high five well as discreet as you can be when you're breathing in each other's carbon dioxide because they're all crammed in there I thought that was very funny. That made me laugh, that's all. Yeah, and they had a distinct plan for everyone to morph into different things, but the details of that do not hold in my head as well as, uh, for instance, the Rachel morphing back from, what is it, hawk to human form? Eagle to human form? I don't remember. I think it was an osprey, actually. Osprey, yeah. I know that was late. I- I'm assuming she must have used an Osprey earlier because I know she uses it at the end. Right. Well, I guess what partially what happens is that the uh, unexpectedly the driver's ed person like Cassie, you know, escaped from it to, claiming that she needed to use the bathroom and got in the bathroom. Yeah. But like they come and check in on her and kind of just grab her physically because to their knowledge, there's no one else around who like to witness this. Um, and they just like kind of drag her back to the truck. And that means that everybody else has to like totally throw out the plan mm-hmm. and it becomes a chase scene more or less yeah but uh right before before we get to that i i was a bald eagle and the reason it sticks oh. out to me is because this is where the body horror comes in right it's uh i don't know what this is from marco's point of view obviously the whole thing is i don't know what i looked like demorphing but i got an excellent view of a bald eagle turning into rachel 
I saw all her feathers ooze up to the top of her head. She was so she was bald except for a feather afro. Then the feathers thinned as if the eagle had some kind of disease. The beak sucked into her face. Her legs had contorted and her wings were growing fingers. At that moment, she looked like a creature straight from the freak shops of the, gro- the greatest horror movies ever made. I wanted to scream. I so wanted to scream. And it kind of goes on. But... I know that the, I th- think the most screwed up part is that the book says that this is a completely painless like process that happens. But just imagine being dodged a lot, like, because I hold on, I got a morph, and then like, your like skin's ripping, your bones are reassembling. Like, oh, don't don't worry, I'm fine. Just just give me a second, and then you turn into the thing or whatever. Yeah, it's creepy. Well, Everett always remembers the body horror in Animorphs, and I think it's because no matter what else is going on, you get a scene like that like twice a book, and mm-hmm. every time, every time it's like that kind of thing of like, oh yeah, you know, my skull like split in two because I was I don't know turning into a I have no idea. Um, yeah, whatever has a whatever animal has a split in two skull. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure this some thing. kind of snake, you know, yeah. with two heads. Sure, that's an animal. Uh, they end up being chased, like just to cut it short, like by a bunch of hork um in a truck. There's dracon beams deployed. Like Cassie gets dragged into the truck, like through kind of the holographic exterior. Everybody else is. Is running away. They like steal the driving instructor's car, and then they're like, "Yeah, very action movie chase scene." Like you know, driving away from like the controller truck, and um, with lasers and trying to like they trying to outrun them at some point, and then the the solution is also just like, this ridiculous action movie stunt shit. I mean, like how they're actually trying to like beat these guys, which I guess I continue on with. They like basically they run into a what is it? A wall? A like landslide? Uh, cave? It, 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 it's a it's a head-on collision. They, they he- there's a there's a head-on collision. Marco falls out, um, in his gorilla form, and then the Hork Bajir van slams into the car, and they all get absolutely obliterated. I guess. Yeah, because it was right out of a turn, and that you know some of them were morphed and are pretty much okay. Like uh, Rachel was some kind of insect, like that could just take the take the the impact with no problem um but this is also... a cockroach right <laughs> is that right yeah yeah so no wonder um and you know just offhand this is the part where our protagonist viewpoint protagonist gets a broken spine no big deal i don't yeah. know that kind of freaked me out because <laughs> he's just like uh this is the end they're like just do, just do morph and you'll be fine as that yeah yeah but what if he wasn't conscious i mean like like all kinds of these stories like he could have just died that is definitely that was on the table but but like i i kind of like because obviously like marco like starts joking around with it but like just imagine that you've been like grizzly mauled your mind isn't like if i just demorph i'll be you're like i'm dying please help Mm -hmm. well it's so dramatic because you have you know we mentioned this is you know not Super long for a novel thing, though I guess shorter than most Animorphs books. It's 32 chapters. They're all pretty short. The end of this chapter, you get uh, this intense car crash, and I flew out of the car, and the last thing I heard was the sickening crunch of my spine snapping. End of chapter, you know, and then and then the drama of him, his feelings. It's like, what? Like, what series can get away with, like, 
<laughs> having your spine snap and oh i guess you're gonna be fine but well, yeah that's just no, that no, extra no, layer of horror right that, 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 that that's what i that's what i find so funny about the series this was being sold at like classic book fair and nobody was really aware of the content that was in these books I feel you're probably right that other than maybe some cool librarians, like no adults were paying attention to yeah. like what was happening okay. in these. I think this goes like along with sort of the horrors of war theme, because I feel like even their like transformation sequences, like morphing and demorphing sort of like, I don't know, they, they lend a lot of horror to this. And I feel like the characters have some PTSD surrounding like even the morphing because there's been so many situations where they've almost died and then demorph and they're just fine but i feel like that would be something that's really hard to get used to um i, I just wanted to as a as a, a side because now we're getting sorry i wanted to talk about um one of my favorite animorph stories uh it's one of the side books i think it's i, I want to say this book is called the mist i can't remember the the title but it's a time travel story where like a, a controller gets their hand on a uh, um, a time travel device and they go back in time and they make it so the 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 South won the American Civil War and like Jake is like a neo Nazi and he owns like Cassie as a slave and then like uh, the Elamist is oh the, Ele- the 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 Elamist like puts their memories back and they're like all right you got to go after the time traveler so they're traveling through time and at one point Jake gets his head blown off by a Hessian mercenary during the Revolutionary War. And Rachel murders the mercenary. And so they're going through, they're all, like, dying. They corner the the time-traveling controller. I think I think Cassie is the only one left. She's, she's cornered the controller. And the controller goes, because I think they get the yerk out of his head, and the guy's like, you know what you have to do. You have to fix this. So you would think, oh, all I gotta do is time-travel back and stop him from getting the thing? No, Cassie goes back in time and stops his parents from meeting. So he is no longer- so he isn't born anymore, that fixes everything. And after the book, KJ Applegate was like, I'm not writing time-travel stories anymore. Not because she wrote this horrifying tale, it's because it was too confusing. And then she proceeded to make, like, four other time-travel Animorphs books after that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Sergio, so what you're saying is this fanfic is not nearly dark enough. No, it's not nearly dark enough, no. Spine snapping, car crashes, nothing. Time traveling to various wars, everything. Well, I think we can top that in terms of darkness, because, like, they find Cassie in the wreckage, she turned into a cockroach, that's right. And then uh, Marco, who, you know, who is the one inclined to this, is like, wait, wasn't there a yerk pool in the truck? And she's like, no, it turns out there wasn't actually a yerk pool in the truck. Wait, wait yes? What, what does she say exactly? Um, the, the, there was a kiddie pool. but they, She, said, but she, she, she says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there was. There was, like, a, a little one, but she didn't get infect, infected, she says. And then Marco's like, well, you could have been. And so they have to go through this process that apparently has happened at least one other time in Animorphs, where they're like, maybe this person is a controller, and we have to... Uh, so, Jake you know. got infested at one point, they mentioned in this, and I know that's from an earlier Animorphs book. I don't know mm-hmm. where this would take place, but J- Jake Jake was infested at one point, and they referenced that. Yeah, that's Yeah, right. they know for a fact because of what happened with Jake that you have to starve the Yerk out. Like, it has yes. to return, the Yerks have to return to their pool within three days, I think, so. Yep. Yeah. So that's what they have to do with Cassie. They have to tie her up and for three days keep watch over her. 
Cassie's like, I completely understand. Obviously, like, we, we can't have any doubt. Like, you need to do this so that we can all be, you can all be clear that I'm not a controller. Well, I was going to say, the, the first thing they have her do is they have her turn into a hork bajir because the hork bajir mm-hmm. can pop oh, the top of their skulls off, and they, they look in her head, and it's like, oh, it's not there. But they realize that um, the when, when you morph, all your excess mass goes into Z space, and that the yerk would technically be transported there, so even if she was... Well, even if she was infested, it wouldn't be in her brain, so they have to tie her up anyway. Right, it didn't prove anything. And yeah, they tie her up anyway, and they've got like this little cabin out in the mountains, and they have to like keep watch on everyone. They have to have, um, you know, pacifist robot allies take her place, uh, like disguised in a hologram, which is also something apparently they've had to do several times. And that's very, very convenient, and probably makes, you know, even this kind of war possible, because otherwise you couldn't keep up a illusion of a normal life um i did have a question though about this if like a yerk possessing a transformer can transform not a transformer a yerk possessing a transformer could probably also transform assuming they could possess a transformer but i'm an anamorph um you know transformers are robots so i don't know whether that's compatible with yerks but what i meant was if cassie was a controller she would be able to morph, right? So why wouldn't she just yes. like start turning into an insect and be like, "What are you, you going to do? Kill me? I'm your friend. Like I'm your friend's body." Uh, just kind of call their bluff on it. Well, well, they they would kill her for sure. Is, is I guess they thing. would. I guess that's the thing. Uh, they would, they would and then to. they would yeah, have and, more and, PTSD. Yeah. That's what they would do. You're and, right. And, and the Yerk should know this because they would have access to all of her memories. And goes, "Oh, if they find out, they're just going to kill me. They're not going to. They're not going to hesitate." Yeah, to be fair, mm-hmm. Cassie is the one who would hesitate most, probably, but even yeah. so. Yeah. But they do a really good job of establishing right before this that, um, you know, another horrifying thing is Rachel coming out of the truck and, like, I don't know, some of the other characters being like, oh, is there a York pool in there? And she's like, not anymore. And, like, stamps her foot down. You're like, ah, yes. <laughs> she's just crushing them one by one. So yeah, I, I think they know, and you know, Rachel's a stone cold killer. She 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 oh, would yeah. definitely yeah. mark Cassie yeah. if Cassie was a, a controller. Mm-hmm. And they make that really clear in this book, and I think that's like what makes the threat feel real because you have your doubts about what Marco or Jake would do. Or Tobias doesn't feature as much, but yeah, also he has a pretty good like. I don't know. Yeah, it really, it's Rachel. It's sort of like Rachel would just kill, kill a year if year came there. Yeah, but that's the next drama. Is that like they have to take turns watching Cassie? Nobody likes the situation. They also, I, th- I think, we find out about like the second act plot here, but we can come back to that. Just in terms of the Cassie plot, um, you know, Marco is up there taking his turn watching Cassie, and you know, she seems like Cassie, but obviously she would if she was a controller too. And he does a really super dumb thing for emotional reasons rather than logical reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he he lets her go out of the barn where she's mm-hmm. being held. Yeah, because she says, uh, I need to use the bathroom. And he's like, "Did you? Mm-hmm. what did you do when Axe was watching you? And she's like, it didn't really come up. Yeah, she basically plays like, oh, I, I have had to pee for so long. This is desperate and... We're 15-year-old kids. It's going to be super awkward for you to watch me pee. And Marco makes this choice, though, because in his mind, he's like, either she comes back 
and then I fully will know that she's Cassie or she takes off and I'll fully know she's a Yerk because, you know, the Yerks need to get to the pool to survive. It's not the most illogical, but the whole time I was thinking, unless she's playing the long game, right? This is a long con, then she can convince you that she's Cassie and you'll let her go and be free and then she's a Yerk possessing an Animorph, right? Well, yeah, but but why would it do that? Because, like, if it just runs back with the identities of the Animorphs, like, this this war is pretty much over. I mean, they can be gorilla animals, I guess, but, like, you know, their lives are pretty much over. And, and so, like, I feel like this does kind of, it's a good moment where it's like, these kids are holding up really, really, really well, but they've got a limit. And at this point, just in this moment for Marco, he just can't stand not being able to trust his friend. And it's like, he would rather just blow up his life and get it over with and maybe die by letting this, you know, Yerk with their secret go. Or just know for sure that, like, his friend is not a controller and not have that as another stress on his head. And, like, again, it, it's stupid. Like, it's an extremely dumb risk to take. And everybody should be very, very angry at him for it, even though, like, he kind of escapes direct consequences for it. But you can also just see it's like, that's, he just couldn't do this anymore in that moment. Yeah, I think it's a really, like, interesting portrayal of just, like, they they have to go through a lot of, like, physical strains, but they also have to go through a lot of mental strains in this, like, never-ending war against the Yerks, and I thought this was, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, a really good demonstration of that, because it would definitely be hard to try and, like, play some mind games, like, okay, well... Let's try and figure out if Cassie really is a controller. But but then, like, the way that deception is so much part of their bones now, there's an extremely tense five minutes. She eventually mm-hmm. comes back. Marco, like, he has that weight off his head. He's like, okay, I fully believe she's not a controller. Then he goes and ties her back into the chair, and then Rachel shows up to take her shift, and Rachel has that, like, intense, you know, strain you know, like, looks super, super tense and stressed, and Marco's like, oh yeah, that's what I felt like, you know, just a little bit ago before I confirmed that Cassie's not a controller, but I can't tell her because she would probably literally kill me. Um, And so she's just going to have to live with it. Like, but but he's so used to hiding information that it's not like it's a big deal to just never tell Rachel that this went down ever. Fun times. Fun times with the Animorphs. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and speaking of, I do really like this uh, line of Marco's where he's saying um, the hardest thing about holding somebody who may or may not be a controller is that you're always trying to trick them into giving themselves away. Then when they don't, you have this hope that maybe they're not really a controller. But you also have the cynical part of your brain telling you that they outsmarted you this time. Then you feel disappointed that they didn't give themselves away as a controller. And guilty that you feel disappointed that they don't seem to be a controller, and angry with yourself for feeling guilty for something you can't control anyway. If that made any sense, you should probably take your medication right now. <laughs> and I'm like, it does make sense though. Way but too much I like that he's, that. <laughs> he's pointing out how absurd the situation is. Like, and he does that frequently, and I think it works really well. I th- I, th- I think also unlike, you know, there's the trope of like, uh villain turns into other person they're fighting and then the other person's like well which one of you are the real one i'm gonna say something that doesn't work with controllers because they have access to all the memories you can't just go Mm -hmm. like what's x person's favorite song because they'll tell you they'll tell it to you 
And then, you know, just, I, I mean, I feel like this is the kind of series for, for readers who enjoy the pain of the characters that they love. Because, you know, just, just for an extra spice, chapter 14 is just your basic superhero. Like, the relationship between Marco and the most important in his life is going to be strained because he's off doing secret superhero things. Where, like, his dad, who he loves, who's like his whole family, wants to spend quality time with him. And he has to be like, uh, no, I have to go do a thing. And his dad's like, oh, can I come along? And he has to be like, no, you can't. Yeah. I feel so sad. He's like, I got, I got to play a basketball game. And he's like, oh, I should help you. He's like, no, I can't bring my dad because it would affect my honor. Or he's supposed to come up with all these excuses. And it's just, theoretically, it's just a basketball game. I, assuming his father's not a controller, which I don't think is the case, and he doesn't think is the case, then it's just going to, and I mean, regardless, it's just going to seem like your teenage son thinks he's too cool to hang out with you. And that's like a great alibi. Even sadder. <laughs> it's, it's a great alibi, but it's super sad. Yeah, also from the perspective that, you know, for average teenagers, maybe it's not that big a deal. They feel this, uh, I mean, at least, you know, teenagers have secure, you know, families that doesn't uh, feel that big a deal not to want to hang out with their parents. But for Marco... He's dealing with so much stress. He needs a support system. So not only is he kind of rejecting his dad, he's rejecting his mode of support. You know, he can't tell him anything. He can't confide in him. In fact, they only have each other animorphs. And I think that's felt like really poignantly in this fanfic, you know. Mm -hmm. For sure. And then moving on with the story, we do get our setup for what's going to be the final action scene. Um, or sequence, I should say, where they get the information, the Yerks have, like, a, a hologram projecting tower, which is how they can hide the trucks, and uh, very conveniently, it, you know, it's a prototype, and it has to be in a, in a relatively accessible place on top of the largest water tower in town. And But they're going to upgrade it so that it has, like, a much larger radius, which will allow more trucks, which will make it extremely, extremely easy to get a lot more controllers. And so, you know, usual, like, usually bad kind of stakes oh and also there's there's death lasers installed on the water tower just you know of course <laughs> <laughs> because of course there are and then right there's a moment where you where it seems to everyone like it's just going to be a normal animorphs life or death you know gorilla mission except that they're going to have to be down two people because someone still has to watch cassie and Cassie can't come because she might be a controller. But then the plot starts getting, like, really involved and convoluted. And well, at this point, they know, this exactly point they know she's a controller. does this come down? Uh, well, at a point, it's a literal guerrilla mission. Oh, yeah, you're yes. right. Because <laughs> Marco has to be a gorilla and carry Cassie up a tower like uh belong king kong style right yes. that's that's gonna be the plan so that the idea is so that they can get a whole lot of people looking at the water tower so that they cannot fire their death lasers off of the water tower without right. like kind of blowing that that things are happening um but then then things get more convoluted rachel starts acting kind of moody and then they can't find her for a little bit and eventually you know, Jake says, oh, we found her, she just went flying, and they reconvene, and she, so, so she disappeared without 
explanation, and they go meet up at the cabin, and Cassie seems very concerned over it. She's very shocked. She's like, uh, oh, she, just to hear that Rachel was gone, she's like, uh, where did she go? And Marco notices that her reaction was very, like, very distinct, and she seems kind of scared at this news, which is very weird, and he figures out that Cassie is, in fact, a controller. Ugh. It makes me tired just thinking about the, the like, mental gymnastics and also, like, paranoia and stress that is involved in this kind of Animorph story. See, I've got to say, I, I don't... I reread that paragraph, like, several times and still couldn't really figure out why exactly that aroused suspicion that she was a controller. Like, am I just... Being dumb or something? Yeah, no, no, I was confused too. I wrote it in our in our in our shared notes where I was like, I'm not sure why they figured this out, but then the next chapter they were like, because she reacted so strongly to Rachel showing up, we knew she was a controller. And it was like I guess <laughs> I, I I mean uh. I mean at this point Cassie controller like breaks cover immediately, so I guess there's that, but like I was yeah. very confused because, like, Rachel shoots out a line of, hey, Cassie, what's the lyrics to whatever? And then, like, she starts going, oh, no, oh, no. But 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 they don't bring that up. They're just like, you're a controller. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's just she's acting. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. It's not. And there's another part in the story also where I didn't quite understand how things went down. But this is also kind of one of them. But she starts... She starts panicking because it seems like, I guess, she's going to be watched over until she dies. And then, of course, the question is why she didn't just fly away when she literally could have, like, gone into the woods and, you know, turned into any of a million animals and escaped the previous day. that's the main question, right? Right. But I guess I did infer because she was trying to infiltrate. That was a goal. But I know, Amato, you sort of contradicted that earlier by saying, like, well she's got all the knowledge already so it wouldn't make that much of a difference i mean right the explanation there in the end is not completely satisfying but we just kind of have to roll with it because uh let's see what is it rachel jake tobias axe go off to try to like do water tower mission is that like or like like, rachel Mm -hmm. it seems like rachel went off kind of first to try to accomplish it but then she's pinned down by lasers and everyone has to go rescue her is that right? Mm-hmm. But then, I think so. But then, while everybody's going off to rescue Rachel, and then, let me see if I got this straight in my mind. Marco's watching Cassie's yerk in Cassie's body while it's you know in its last hours of life or whatever, and um, and it ends up telling him that the that Rachel's also a controller that that's. Um, I forget when when did they end up nabbing Rachel? When did Rachel get infested? Uh, Ra- uh, mm. it was well, she had flown off on her own. Yeah, yeah it was before that a little bit. Um, it was like somewhere in the initial initial action scene back at the driver's ed thing. I think. Um, I th- I, I know Cassie Cassie got alone with Rachel. And she ended up shoving a slug into her ear or oh, something yeah. like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's all. Um, was that it? I, yeah, I was actually unsure on that part. I thought it was when Rachel went flying by herself. And I don't, 
Yeah. I, I, th- that I think it was. Sense, I think it. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head what they said. It starts to get confusing it's, at this point. It's a little <laughs> convoluted. And so, I mean, it's not convoluted. It's just there's a lot of details. Like, mm. it's not right. time travel difficult. It's just like, I didn't retain it all difficult. And that's, a lot that's of fine. Moving parts. We don't need to retain <laughs> mm-hmm. it all. The point is that that's why. Cassie Yerk was not worried was because she knew that Rachel Yerk was supposed to go let her feed when it was Rachel's Rachel Yerk's turn to watch her. Mm-hmm. But then she was double crossed by Rachel Yerk, who was going to get all of the glory for herself by like bringing in the rest yes. of the Animorphs rather than having to share it with like, you know, some other Yahoo Yerk um, in her head. And so then when everyone's going to save Rachel Yerk from the water tower, that's a setup. Um, and I think that that's when they improvise the King Kong plan where they have Cassie's Yerk turn. No, no it, it, they have Marco holding Cassie's Yerk King mm-hmm. Kong style going up the, um, you know, the water tower and drawing a huge crowd of attention as cover to try to extract Rachel out of there, except that she's also still a Yerk. And it's, like I said, I think it's good at least at, at being totally life or death, like raising the stakes as high as they could possibly go, like you'd normally expect from this kind of, kind of action series book. It's also just such awesome imagery like just so many things happen with this water tower scene and and it's like you know we mentioned the the kind of darkness of everything and it it doesn't go away but this is when i think more than marco's uh interjections we have like an actually sort of like humorous situation because axe like starts to pretend to be marco's trainer you know (laughs) just I loved it, honestly. Right, his yeah, trainer back, and Bobo. his escaped. <laughs> yep. And pretending this gorilla had escaped from, I don't know, wherever this guy was training it, and f- grabbed a teenage girl like gorillas do and climbed a high place. And I like right. that that would, that would absolutely get everyone's attention. You know? Well, without, without seeming completely science fiction outside the realm of physical possibility. This is like, remain calm. Everybody remain calm. I am the primate's trainer. I am a professional earth animal handler. (laughs) All right, sure. Totally normal. (laughs) Totally normal. Also, he looks like a 15-year-old kid. (laughs) He's an Uh, intern. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, and then, you know, action happens. Rachel's yerk reveals itself and starts to gloat and... um, Things get blown up and eventually like Rachel and Rachel's Yerk and Marco end up in the sewers. I, I appreciate how how consistently the series is about making sure that if someone is a known controller, they are not that person. It's like if you know that it is Rachel, if Rachel's infected, that character is no longer ever referred to by, you know, the protagonist as Rachel. That's not a Rachel. It's like Rachel Yerk or something like that. Mm-hmm. A very important mental distinction that they need to be able to make all the time in their lives. Yeah, and in fact, they they kind of do a, a nice reiteration of it, too, because fairly frequently for Marco, he'll be like, Cassie, oh no, the Yurk in Cassie's head, mm-hmm. and like correct himself, which feels very real, you know? Like, you see this person, you want to think it's them, and they have to correct your own thinking. So, yeah, they do a good job with that. Now... So the reason these Yerks didn't just, like, run away at first opportunity and go tell Command about all this stuff was because they wanted to, like, bring in all of the Animorphs for extra glory? 
and, you know, lay a trap for them and show how awesome they were for, like, promotion purposes. It's a dumb reason, but I, I do appreciate that the... I mean, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but at the end of the, the story, once they're able to talk to Cassie and, you know, Rachel, who experienced these yerks in their heads, they're like, oh, that seems like a dumb plan. And they're like, yeah, these were kind of dumb yerks. Yeah, I found that really interesting, too. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, these are grunts or whatever. Right, it's like, these were, these were not the cream of the army. I loved that, personally, because Marco <laughs> even mentions in his, like, I don't know. I don't know if he said it out loud or if he was just thinking it, but they ha- they ended up in their normal life or death situation. But because of some of the like lowest tier Yurk members and it's I don't know, it just adds to the stakes that even even just like regular old grunts can put them in the situation where they might just get game ended like that's Yeah, it's it's really I don't know. I, I think it's a really interesting premise. Yeah, they were almost just destroyed by Final Fantasy Biggs and Wedge, like that level of character. Yeah. Um, yeah. And anyway, uh, what else was I saying there? I mean, it also jives because they were captured in part of an operation to infest high schoolers. And if there's any kind of your hierarchy for who gets what kind of host bodies, getting a high schooler is definitely like <laughs> the low rank. Yeah. Like... Most of them can't even drive a car. Right, somebody who you, a year who you can trust with no authority whatsoever, you get the high school student. And it's so, like, um, it's, like, almost acknowledging a fairly average trope in sci-fi, right? Where, like, yeah, fairly often you get the grunts in there, and they mess up, you know, the fucking stormtroopers, or the stormtroopers of the thing, right? People mm-hmm. don't talk about it, but in this fan fiction, they're talking about it. Like, yeah, these, these were the stormtroopers of the situation. Huh. But, but I'm skipping ahead a bit because there's still this whole action sequence. And this is the other part where I did eventually stopped understanding what was happening. And I don't know if you all had this experience, too. Uh, yeah, I had similar experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> once they, they got, like, into the water tower and they were going through, I was so confused. Like, I'm not even sure how Rachel's yerk got outside of her head. Because it's like, they went through the hose, and then the yerk's like, no, and then it's gone. Like, I was I was very confused on, like, what exactly happened to it. Yeah. They end up underneath the water tower, basically in the sewer. I mean, I was picturing, like, Dungeons and, Dungeons and Dragons style, like, rats in the sewer, like, thing. But I'm sure that that's not actually what it looked like at all. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't actually look like that. They need to get out of there because I, I'm pretty sure the Yerks, like, you know, destruct the water tower so that no non-infested humans find the, like, crazy alien technology that they were storing there. But then when they're going through the drains, you know, Rachel's like, well, yeah, now I'm, I'm just going to, like, get out of here and, you know, uh, report back to, to Yerk HQ and we still win and you really can't do anything about it. But then Marco pulls out this line. Wait, where is it? What chapter is this? There we go. Yeah, and so partly, partly it's disorienting because, like, Marco doesn't really understand where he is. Um, or that sort of thing. But, so they course down deeper into it. And then Marco says, the sea does not belong to despots, I murmured. What, panted the Yerk? Thirty feet below its level, their rain ceases, their influence is quenched, and their power disappears. And the Yerk's like, what? And then they're going through more. And this has to be something to do with water pressure, right? Like, Aren't there, like, super cool alien whales or, like, um, in Animorphs? Is, is that a thing? 
um, not aliens, but like telepathic whales. Is that? I feel like this is something that happened in some book that maybe I'm supposed to remember a plot detail of. Can Yerks like not infest people? Oh, I don't a, remember. At, at a sufficient no. water depth? I think that's what this might be from oh. my vague recollection. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I at least to to my knowledge, I, I couldn't remember if there were any like, um, I mean, you might be right that the, that that like they can't infest people under a certain water pressure, but I don't really remember there being any limitations to that ability. I might be wrong. Mm. Well, this, I mean, you know, whatever. Something happened. Maybe if I was a better Animorphs fan, I would understand what happened. I think I'm supposed to have understood what happened. It is probably a failure of the writing that there's not like a line kind of uh, making it clear what happened. Yeah, because there's a lo- there's a lot of parts in this book that aren't necessarily clear. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think they're just lacking in like depth. It's not like they're explained confusingly. It's just that there's like something missing. Right. Yeah. That's that's basically what I was gonna say. Is like um. They do a really good job of establishing, you know, who people are mm-hmm. and what their functions are early on. But then when you get towards this climax, uh, because the chapters are so short, things just rush by. And it's yeah. those details, like you said, a motto. Uh, I think they're probably there if we do enough information. <laughs> and I kind of get it. I feel like, you know, the, the setting information at the beginning, I feel it was part of the pastiche where like, the author was like, I'm writing, I'm setting out to write an Animorphs book, so my characters have to kind of establish themselves and the situation at the beginning, because that's what they do. But they weren't actually writing this for somebody who has never picked up an Animorphs book before. And so they probably just yeah. were not worried about the reading experience of me, the extremely casual Animorphs fan. That's kind of the vibe I get. It's, it seems like at first, you know, they like do such a good job of leading you in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely had to start doing research towards the end here. Yeah, I think a lot of the like author strengths comes with more of the characterization rather than mm-hmm. the actual story beats themselves. I'd say you're right that like the dialogue is strong, the characterization is mm-hmm. very strong, and the mm-hmm. plot is fine, and the execution of that plot is sometimes at the very least hard for me to follow at some key moments. So that more or less brings us to the close of the story. And is there anything that people wanted to like add in on from those kind of last couple chapters or last sequence? Well, did we actually address kind of how things wrap up here? Um, they're flushed through the sewer and the Yerk dies for a reason that is unclear. Yeah, the, the they're flushed yeah. through the sewer and then they end up coming out through a hose and the Yerk gets dislodged from Cassie's brain for some reason. And then Tobias picks up them up because they're like an eel form and they... uh end up recuperating in uh, the city. I would also like to point out that they mention they go to the, the, the there's a there's a secret android city uh, under oh, yeah. the, the town. Oh, right. And, so... and they mention that they have these convenient like like ray shield type rooms for them to just chill out for three days. And I was I was sitting there. I was going like, why didn't they just put Cassie in that? Right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Wait, that doesn't make it. I, I that that didn't connect in my mind on first read. But wait a minute. And it, it, it's, it's <laughs> not even like 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 it's like a like a common area where they can just like play games and stuff, and they're all just like in like hermetically sealed bubbles where they can still interact with each other. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't notice that either. Because mm. they're, they're not like, oh dang, we have to be down there. So oh, this the, we get to just chill out for three days or whatever. 
Let's go. Let's go buy Mario Kart once this is all done. Yeah. And then they play a driving game. Yeah, that's that's the big I I it's like like now we'll we'll buy a driving game to cap <laughs> off our experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get a racing game. It's as close as any of us will get to uh, driving Actual for driving. a long time or driver's seat for a long, long time. I, I kind of wish the, says. Right. The, the the driving part played a bit bigger in the story because you think it would. But it's just mm-hmm. like, ah, whatever. Rachel already knows how to drive. We're just here to kill slugs or whatever. Yeah, and there's this other thing with Marco where it's like, Marco's had to drive a bunch of times, but they criticize him for his driving skill. So they're like, no, you did this class more than anyone. <laughs> like, Jake can but, drive, because yeah. he, 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 he does it during the, the, the chase scene. Well, I mean, they were all learning, right? I mean, they knew yeah, where to put yeah. the put their foot i was just gonna say the main thing is they they've all had to drive before hmm. just yeah, because for, they're animorphs so. for missions <laughs> yeah but i i'd say my, my my main problem is like so at the, so at the beginning of this thing jake's like okay we're, we have a problem we're locked we all have to attend these classes um and like it's at it's at night like like they're at night time so we have to do our animorph stuff during the daytime and there's this security system that my parents put in place so we can't be sneaking out anyways it's like oh no we've been capped off but then they immediately do away with that because it's like yeah tom decided that um uh fuck the the security system was interfering with his year duty so he sabotaged it and then they're like oh well we can just get the robot duplicates to take our place at the driver's ed so it's like what what that that you've negated all of the problems that you set up. Like they're just they're just kind of done away with. Sergio, I don't know how I didn't think about this the first time. But you're totally right. Like, you're right. If they've got Android helpers who can take their holographic place, then none of none of the drama was necessary. None of it matters. I mean, except it still would have been a problem of all of those kind of setup things. If an Android Cassie was taking her driver's test, and they knew that that was a front to be infested, because they can't let the Yerks find out about androids. So that could have still been a problem. But that's, like, the only thing that could have been a problem if they, you know, had decided to pull on this resource. Well, yeah, because they could have just... They put, they put the android Cassie in the car, and then they just have her get dragged off into the, the thing, and then they surprise attack. Because obviously they're gonna... Right. They're go- Right, they're gonna realize when they put the yerk into the android brain that it's not gonna work. But yeah, my my main my main I said gripe with the story, even though I liked it, was the driver's ed. Very, it felt like this could have been about anything, really. The because the, the once once like the car mm-hmm. chase happens, all the driving aspect of it just kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. It's just then we gotta go take out the water tower or whatever. So like I don't know, they could have been taking culinary classes and it wouldn't really have changed much. It makes me think. Given that the average Animorphs book is actually like half the length of this one, then that could have been the book, right? It could have been the wheel about this driver's ed scheme or whatever, and it could have ended in a climactic chase and someone's back could have gotten broken or whatever. And that could have been a contained, probably satisfactory Animorphs plot. I mean, not that I not that I want to throw out the like good character work involving possible Yerk possession and stuff, like later on in this story. Uh, but you're right, the thematic cohesion kind of goes away. 
And and also, yeah, I, I shouldn't have think too hard about the availability of Android doubles in secret underground Android cities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that's a really good point that I also didn't really think about. I would say, like, I guess my my gripe is similar, though, in the fact that it feels almost like we're reading two books combined together. And I feel like the first part of the narrative was a lot stronger until after the first, like, chase scene that culminates in the car crash. And then after that, it started to get a little less parsable in general. Yeah, it's weird because I do like the action of the latter part, but mm-hmm. I think we've kind of already talked through how it isn't necessarily coherent narratively speaking. So mm-hmm. maybe uh, there could have been a little more work in the latter part, or you know, maybe they could have separated into into two books. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that would have benefited the story because I do feel that that action that happens later is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned, the thing, the King Kong thing is like very fun to read. It's just, it wasn't necessarily something that needed to happen for this plot. So maybe yeah. it was just an issue of the author being like, oh, I really like this stuff and I want to put it together. So that's hard as a writer, you know, he's like, I want to mm-hmm. keep this. Um, I think, there's this one famous quote about writing where it's like, in order to be a good writer, you have to be able to kill your favorite child. Oh yeah. Horrible thing to say, but killing your darlings or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Well, I think we've segued actually very nicely here into, you know, closing out this, this discussion because we always do things that we want to complain about or think could have been done better um, in the fanfic. And I think probably People have hit on their complaints, mm-hmm. um, except maybe me. I'm not sure I have, but I think I more or less have to second those. I mean, basically, just like, I, I guess after reading the story, the main thing is I just didn't quite understand how things shook out at the end with the water tower and the, you know, drink and the, the pipings and all that kind of thing. I didn't quite get it. And I understood some of that was supposed to be disorienting because Marco was disoriented, and some of it was just like I was missing a key piece of information that the author did not remind me about, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. But I think I do have to make that my complaint. Which, which which I think is very valid because the author made sure to, like, tell us about the Hork-Bajir and the, the, like, the brain surgery thing, or the... And um, the androids. Android. What, yeah, what we need to know about them, at least. But let's move on from there into things we want to praise about the fanfic. What stood out for you as something that you thought was really good here? Um, uh, I, th- I I think in capturing the spirit and style of uh, of uh, Animorphs, um, it succeeded. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I think um, two places where it really shines are, I, I mentioned earlier, I love the characterization. Like, I thought each of the characters were... I guess their their personalities were done in a really good way. And again, they they did capture the spirit of the characters from the Animorph series that I remember. So it was like, I don't know, it's kind of cool. It's taking a trip down memory lane, like looking at something nostalgic for me since I did read quite a lot of the books. And then another thing I thought was really strong was just like the horror element of having Cassie being potentially a controller. 
and then having it revealed, oh yeah, she definitely is. And also, Rachel is a controller as well. Like, I think, like, even though it was a little confusing in the details surrounding those, I thought that was a good plot point to bring up. Yeah, there was there was a really great element of suspense there. Like I felt really engaged in reading this the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is the suspense, but another part of that is just Marco's characterization, um his quips, but also his humanity. Like we mentioned the scene with his dad where it it feels like you know, he feels this this guilt and you know, he often feels fear and he often feels um he describes very honestly how horrifying this experience is for him. And I feel like I connect to the character really well and what the author did here. So in, in general, despite the, the ups and downs, uh, really engaging writing that you want to keep reading. Yeah, I think I want to second you, Tori, on both those counts. I mentioned at the start that I think this made me appreciate Marco as a character more. And I think it's it's a lot in the execution because it's I it's very easy to be like, OK, yeah, he's the character who uses jokes to deflect from the fact that, you know, uh, he, he's going through all of this really rough stuff. And that's fine as a as a type of character. Right. But like the particular ways in which mentally these things are necessary for him or useful for him or, you know, the specific kinds of trauma he's experiencing I feel like was all really deftly conveyed by the author here without dwelling on any of it, but just kind of like the the very specific mental headspace that Marco is in, I feel like came across really well and more than I remember it coming across in in mm-hmm. Transformers actual books that I remember reading. I mean, also I was a kid and I was mostly into like, I was reading things on a more surface level and not doing a close read of them. But <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was really well done. On, on that kind of character level for sure yeah and you, you even get another thing to praise is you get moments with every character um mm-hmm. even though it's from marco's perspective you get characterization of everyone and like we uh, talked about marco's exposition of things he also does like brief and not too much exposition for every character like oh cassie's like this and rachel's like this and jake is like this and it feels right and mm-hmm. it gives you enough information. Axe doesn't get anything, really. He's mostly just there for humor. Tobias doesn't get a lot either, yeah. which kind of made me really bad. But you could still tell, like, his characterization, I would say, from just the way he was written. At least I remember. There's that scene where Marco makes a Shakespeare reference and makes fun of Jake for not recognizing the Shakespeare reference. And then... Tobias makes another Shakespeare reference, which is slightly more obscure, and Marco doesn't get that one. (laughs) And he's like, I don't have have anything to do all day besides read, or something like that. (laughs) Anyway, just, yeah, he gets little moments, but you're right. I I do remember really liking Tobias, and there was, relatively speaking, very little Tobias Mm -hmm. character work in this story. So, a bit of a shame. But you can't have all the characters all the time, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> and I think even some of the books were like that too, like from the original series, where sometimes you just wouldn't see one character for basically the entire book. I think another praiseworthy aspect of this story is that um, I feel like even though it has a very fast pace, it doesn't take away from the story either. Like I know there were points where we had confusion of just like some missing details. But I think that's not 
because of pacing issues. And I feel like one of the things that made this really compelling and also very similar to the actual original series is the fast paced nature of it. And I feel like it goes really well with not only the action sequences, but also the witty quips between all of the characters too. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, uh, I know, I guess that just reinforces what I was saying before is it's a fun read, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's a, it's got that human element that mm-hmm. you feel connection to everyone in a way. You know, the other like highly rated Animor story on fanfiction.net that I was looking at was like from the point of view of a controller. I have a oh. feeling I have a feeling it might have been less fun. Yeah, that sounds depressing. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, well. Yeah, I mean this definitely makes me have a bit of a taste for Animorphs. But I also have a whole lot of fanfiction to read, so we'll see if if or when we get back to it. But speaking of having lots of fanfiction to read. Could thanks again so much for coming on. I think we had a really great discussion. I had lots of fun talking animorphs and talking this story with you. Oh no, um, thank you. You, you want to tell us again where you do your fanficy things online and what kinds of things those are? Uh yes. So uh you can basically find us on anywhere podcasts are hosted as uh so you think you can fanon and our Twitter is at S Y T Y C Fanon. Um, we read just about anything under the sun. I'm sure if you look through our backlog of like 150 plus episodes, you can find something. Uh, we read SCPs. Um, obviously we mentioned it, the bootleg Kingdom Hearts novel, Chain of Memories. Um, we've been reading through a Warhammer, uh, D&D summary called All Guardsmen Party that we really recommend. I think All Guardsmen is one of the best ways for any kind of media to engage with Warhammer 40k, so. Yeah, sounds like fun. Kai, do you have any episode recommendations? Um, Dave Stadider, because that's one of the ones that I know. Oh, yeah, uh, Dave's, Dave, <laughs> Dave's Pokemon. Yeah, Dave Stadider Pokemon Trainer. It's a, a Pokemon X Homestuck crossover with absolutely garbage prose, but that's what makes it endearing. It's on purpose. It's for sure on purpose. Like, we're not just making fun of the author. It's definitely a joke that the prose is as bad as it is. But there's a lot of, like, I don't know, interesting jokes that go on with spelling mistakes and stuff like that. It's it's an experience, for sure. And, uh, uh, I think it's Light and Dark, The Adventures of Dark Yagami. It's about Light Yagami's long-lost brother, dark yagami oh dear uh, oh my god it's it's so funny uh my favorite it's thing crazy it's crazy they throw in a bunch of weird lore breaking things like they introduce the life note that can bring people back to life and like oh my. but one of my favorite things that happens is that uh soichiro light's dad is like hold on i know how we're going to screw with kira so he so he writes his wife's name in the death note and has her say something like really threatening to kira that she has a heart attack and immediately afterwards he grabs the life note and revives her oh my god (laughs) that sounds dumb in an entertaining way for sure like yeah. I can't, I can't believe I never thought of either making a dark yagami or a life note, and now I'm like, how, how is everybody not writing those exact same fanfics? Anyway, 
That's delightful. And I'm going to immediately check those episodes out. So. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. It sounds like fun times. But I think our fun times here are going to have to come to an end. We're going to wrap this up here. This was episode 127 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, The Wheel by L. Amist, a Animorphs fanfic that you can find on fanfiction.net, and we'll provide the link in the show notes. Uh, the intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from that same album, and you can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Davis, who has apparently never read any Animorphs, so it's just, she's just got to listen to us say weird words like yerk and andalite and, you know, uh, android. Maybe maybe everyone knows that one. What do you say? E. That's a taxon. <laughs> Those are the weird, oh, yeah. like, centipede ones. Right. Oh, have yeah. a... So let's have to determine whether when I say hork that's, like, what I meant to say, or whether I kind of sneezed or something. Um... <laughs> That's her problem now, not mine. And you can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. If you've got questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can also contact us on Twitter at Retrofanfic or various other places, Facebook at Retrofanfic, send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com, or leave comments or reviews on the podcast service of your choice. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Sergio. And I'm Kai. We're just four Earth life forms who cannot tell you our last names or where we live. Until next time, take care. <laughs>